As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Sif Pop Podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's never taken a drug in its life, but still couldn't scale that mountain, it's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop, streaming live on Mixler every Friday afternoon or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get those perks. I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com, and each week I'll be joined by a pop culture guru to chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And today's guru is Jeremy Simser from all your favorite television shows and movies. It's Jeremy. Hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, Jeremy, I'm so glad to have you on. We've been getting to know each other through various avenues and outlets. Our common connection is... The Cinema Sins guys, we've both been on the Sin cast. Uh, we hung out with them in Nashville uh, when they were doing the Wizard Con there. So we've, you know, gotten to meet personally, uh, enjoyed my time there. I love that we both love reality television. That's always fun to have somebody else <laughs> in my life that actually likes reality TV. There's uh, my actual Sif shame. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, at least the good reality television uh, oh, totally. that's out yeah. there. Uh, I'm really glad to have you on. Um I, I forgot. I'm really to happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. I I, I forgot to tell you that sometimes I have the uh, the guest guru do do the uh, patrons get those perks during the intro. Um, so if you want, if you're feeling left out, you can certainly give us a good patrons get those perks. Oh, okay. Do you want me to do that right yeah, now? Yeah, go for it, man. All right, right. Patrons get those perks. Huh? That's the way it's done, right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before <laughs> we go any. Before going to cut that part out. <laughs> no, we're not cutting anything out. It doesn't work that way. Uh, pro- actually, producer Phil can cut out whatever he wants to cut out. It's kind of his, his job. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do so we can kind of start there. Uh, you are a storyboard artist for yes. so many things that I know and love and have enjoyed. Um, just kind of list a few of them that you know people will know and kind of what your job entails with what you do. Well, at this point in my in my career, uh, my uh, my sort of steady work uh, comes from uh, the uh, uh, the CW DC television universe. So I'm the regular storyboard artist uh, in Vancouver uh, for The Flash and Supergirl. Uh, I do the occasional episode of Legends of Tomorrow as well. Uh, I've uh, and then I just do like day call stuff or other things. Like I work on Man in the High Castle and uh, nice. I did a couple of days. 
yeah, great show that one. Uh, and uh, worked a couple of days on a show called Colony a couple of weeks ago, which is on Sci Fi Channel, I think. And uh, you know, a little thing that just aired called uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, really a highlight of my career. I did uh, uh, two episodes of Game of Thrones for this past season, and including the uh, the uh, very well received uh, loot train sequence. Yeah. Uh, for episode for episode four, which uh, everybody kind of lost their their stuff over I don't, yeah. I don't know if i can swear or not so i'm, I'm gonna yeah, we, try keep, not to. we keep it pg so yeah no okay. i appreciate that um that's cool the uh the the loot train heist uh is is one of those episodes that everybody talks about because of the visuals so that that's right. got to make you feel amazing that your artwork informed that love of that episode it really does, and that was one of the one of the situations where, uh, and because there are so many different ways that storyboards can be used, uh, especially in television production, because it's so fast and quick, uh, that it was really gratifying for me uh, in that situation to be able to watch that that as it aired and go, wow, like it, it was my storyboards playing out in, yeah. in real time on screen. Like it, he, this director was meticulous with his use of storyboards because there was so much information both from a from a from an action standpoint, a stunt standpoint, from a visual effects standpoint, that needed to be communicated to so many different people that really precise storyboards were a very important part of that. And then those were handed off to the pre-visualize uh, pre-visualization uh, crew, who then did like crude 3D renderings uh, of it to sort of edit it and have it play out in real time. And then from that, they went and they went and shot it. So uh, yeah, for it to be as close to the boards as it actually ended up being for me was just really satisfying to watch. Yeah. That's gotta be an incredible feeling for sure. And it's a bit, it's being a part of history too. I mean, this is one of the shows that, that, you know, if for, for, it's almost like, like, Oh, if I'd storyboarded like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like right. it's that entrenched into people's minds. And, and just as a pop culture reference now that, that to be involved in, in a show of that magnitude really, really, kind of baffling to me <laughs> you know what i mean well it's cool that's great i mean it certainly looks beautiful on the resume uh you know i'm i'm sure it's certainly a, a a great thing for you professionally and personally so congratulations man that's 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 a great achievement you think they'll ask you back for the uh the final run of episodes well they already uh, have a list of the directors off and uh, i don't think so only because uh the director that uh, brought me in on that is uh, it was his first time working for game of thrones okay. last season so he did two episodes uh when uh, another director had to back out for reasons that are not mine to discuss uh but uh uh yeah so he got brought in and uh, i've sort of been his guy for about two years now since the first time we worked together so as soon as he got that job he called me up and he was just like how'd you like to work on game of thrones and i was just like i was eating i think at the time and i dropped my plate <laughs> and it smashed all over my kitchen floor that didn't actually happen but i was very amazed and shocked and it was great so uh that's another thing i think people don't often think about with like a storyboard artist or other pieces of the production puzzle is how much of that comes from relationships and how much of that comes from building those relationships with directors and the people that make those choices and so now when you have you know a, a person who's like yeah this is my guy uh it just becomes you know you're kind of tied to their career in a really interesting way totally yeah like i mean in his it, like to for to use this guy his name is matt shackman by the way he directed uh, two two episodes uh, episodes four and five of season seven of game of thrones 
including uh, as well as uh, like a bunch of Fargo's and uh, lots of uh, like always sunny in Philadelphia's of all things like uh-huh. stuff like that. He's got a really sort of wide uh, uh, and varied uh, resume, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, like his his career tra- tra- trajectory is uh, is on its way up, and uh, you know he just might take me along with him, which is kind of cool. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's lots yeah. of fun. Um, the other thing uh, when it comes to storyboard work and kind of doing uh, that stuff is you also play a role where you're playing a part that doesn't have a lot of creative control. So uh, you are at the mercy of the final decisions of others. And I bet that can be frustrating sometimes, too, as well as encouraging sometimes. It can be. Now, I'm particularly good at my job. So when those first sort of initial meetings for a particular sequence happen, uh, I'm it sounds like I'm sort of tooting my own horn a lot here, but anyways, but it's Do true. It, man. So uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm very intuitive as to what a director needs, uh, as long as that director him or herself can can communicate those ideas uh so i'm it's it's never it's rarely a situation where i don't understand what the director wants so anything that happens from a revision standpoint after that point tends to be because things have changed creatively as opposed to me making a quote-unquote mistake uh in in my boards do you know what i mean yeah so in that sense, the revision process can be a little bit frustrating just because it's uh, it's redrawing things that you've already drawn. It's changing things that you might be in love with a little bit. Uh, uh, but at the same time, because none of that tends to be reflected on my skill at the job, it's it's really more just to like, oh, I'd rather not do this rather than, oh, this actually hurts my professional feelings in any kind of way. Do you know what I mean? Right. Totally. Um so that's kind of the and also sorry and sorry to interrupt again, but uh, but it, it does also vary from project to project. There are jobs where sometimes the director's like, you know what, I don't really know what to do with this scene, so please have at it. At which point you get to get a lot of creative. Oh, that's fun. And, yeah, so that can be a lot of fun that way. So that's the TV end of things. By the way, I watch both uh, the Flash and Supergirl on CW, so I see your work all the time. Um, the cool. movie end of that. Tell us a little bit about some of the films people would know that you storyboarded for. Um, well, I worked on a movie called Jumper a little while ago. Okay, um, yep. I did. Um, uh, I did the the Netflix uh, Death Note that uh, came out uh, about a couple months ago, that uh, was met to mixed reviews by <laughs> by fans of the original anime. Uh, although I think if people go in with a clean head, I think they'll actually really enjoy the movie. It had a sense of humor to it that was really uh, surprising to me, which because it, it was interesting because while working on it, the the humor that was going to be involved in the movie didn't really come through. Uh, but, uh, I was only involved in three sequences for that movie, although I was on it for almost two months, Yeah. but, uh, but yeah, it was great. I actually really enjoyed that movie. Uh, and most recently, uh, I worked on, uh, Deadpool two this past summer. So that's coming next year. Wow. So you know stuff about the new Deadpool movie then? I know everything about the new Deadpool movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Did you do a lot of storyboarding for it? Uh, I ended up doing quite a bit. Yeah, I, nice. I, I was on that for about three months, I think. And that was already uh, I was one of four storyboard artists on that show, uh, two of which were from L.A. Uh, or the no, they might have been from the Bay Area, actually. Uh, and two of them were uh, local. Uh, so me and another guy were local here. So four of us working all together in a room together, just having a blast drawing Deadpool all day. It was all jokes. It was it was quite amazing. Um and the, it was great. The director would come in every day at around the uh, around the five o'clock hour, and we'd all show our work and stuff. We started calling it Happy Hour with David Leach, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he actually, uh, after a couple of months of that, he actually gifted us all with uh, 
with these really nice uh, like tumblers, these glasses that have happy hour with David Leach like etched into them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, nice. That's yeah, funny. He gave us all a little gift. It was nice. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, yeah. uh, I guess that's an appropriate way to transition uh, in that uh, Brolin's actually in Deadpool too, right? So yes, yes, is. you've got Josh Brolin in that. We're going to talk a lot about Josh Brolin today on the show. Uh, well, I haven't prepared anything. What's that? <laughs> I said I haven't prepared anything. It was a, it was a joke. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, you can fly off the seat of your pants. That's fine. Yeah, uh, we've that's, had that's good. we've definitely had guests do that before. Um, so yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, the movie Only the Brave. We're then going to do our best ever Josh Brolin movie. So we're going to chat about that a little bit. Of course, we've got a Sif quest, uh, some buried treasure that we'll finish off with. But first, we're going to do some do we care? So I'm going to read some pop culture headlines, Jeremy, and uh, you can decide if we care enough about them to talk. A little more about them. You ready for this? Absolutely. The first one, the big one, the one that I think most people uh, is in their brains. They finally have announced the official title for the Han Solo solo movie, and it is Solo. Do we care? Yes. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about <clears throat> Solo, a Star Wars story, being the title of the new Han Solo film? I don't know what else they would have called it, really. <laughs> I mean... As far as I mean, unless it, like I don't know, maybe the Kessel Run, if that if that is if that's involved right. in any way, I don't know. I mean, I honestly think I the only other title that I think they kind of they could have gone with, although it would have broken the mold, would have been a Han Solo story. Um, but to me, Solo, a Star Wars story, is is fine. I mean, it's it's inoffensive. It's the movie that's gonna it's gonna make the difference. You know what I mean? How how's your confidence level on this Han Solo movie? How are you feeling about um, it? I'm feeling better about it now than I was when Lord Miller were attached. I'll be honest. Yeah, me too. Um, I never thought that they were a particularly good fit. And I honestly, and I'm, I might be going out on a limb here, and guys, I apologize if this is not the case, but I feel like they might have misrepresented themselves a little bit to get that job. Oh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> I think that they that they might have kind of held back on how ad-libby they were going to do and how, uh, and how improv-y they were going to handle the thing. Uh, because, you know, when you when you look at their previous stuff, I mean, obviously comedy and sort of off the cuff comedy is is the way they go. Right. And uh, for me, they never felt like a particularly good fit because I don't want this Han Solo movie to be a comedy. Um, so when yeah. the daily started coming in and problems started to arise, I was just like, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'll be honest. Yeah. There were reports that it was, you know, that it was coming off almost like Ace Ventura. You know, that it was just kind of that complete goofy craziness. And I'm just like, yeah, I. I, I can't imagine that movie would have been any kind of uh, success. You know, they, they, that's what anybody wanted. So it's a little strange that, you know, that they wanted to do that. Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no kind of sense of that from the Han Solo character. You know no. what I mean? Like, he's, he's not that he's all like dour and serious the whole time. But I mean, not like that. Do you know what I mean? And even if he is a kid in it or whatever, it's, I don't know. It just didn't feel right. So I, I'm kind of when the reshoots that Ron Howard started doing ended up taking three months or however long it was. I was just like, okay, they're totally redoing this movie and oh, I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, it feels like it feels like they may have even started from scratch, right? I mean it would have been tight just to about, do all yeah. that in three months, but um but there's a lot you can do with a three month production schedule. Totally, especially if a lot of the prep is already done. I mean Yeah. I mean I wouldn't be surprised if it was like an all hands on deck, let's restoryboard some stuff, let's revisit some or uh, reprevis some stuff and 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 really sort of get it back on track. And and I trust if I if 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 her track record has, has proven anything to me, it's that I trust Kathleen Kennedy and the decisions that she's making there. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. 
All right, story number two, female Thor movie, a possibility, says Kevin Feig. Do we care? Totally. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. That's the first time hearing of that, by the way. Oh, so tell me tell me about why you, why you would say that's a great idea. What do you love about well, that? Well, first of all, I think that Marvel is 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 lacking a little bit in the uh in the lead female characters. So yes. I think that uh, that a female Thor character uh, uh would be a, a female Thor movie would be a great idea. Uh for all accounts uh the the female Thor storyline in the comics uh was met with uh, pretty good reviews and and good fan appreciation. So I think it's something that people who who read the Thor comics uh, uh, would be looking forward to. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. I think I've had to come to just I mean, it, it wasn't like difficult for me. I'm just not because I'm not a comic person. I didn't realize how how much the comics change the central characters uh, person. You know, for instance, there's been different Iron Man's, you know, different Thor's, uh, you know, that kind of I wasn't aware of that. So, oh, right. so when the, you know they're talking about uh, you know doing a different um, you know uh, Captain America or a different it, it, for me initially I was like whoa, whoa wait a second I mean that that changes everything not realizing that the source material has a background for that and honestly after realizing that I think it makes complete sense and I'm all for it I think it's a great way to embrace diversity embrace a wide variety of different. Uh, you know, kinds of ethnic backgrounds, of course, you know, the gender thing, all that, you know, to bring that to the front, uh, I think Marvel is is really smart, and I think it's very uh, wonderful. Agreed. I think then they, and like you say, they've got this this sort of uh, uh, sweeping uh, infrastructure to, to draw from where, where, uh, where all of these possibilities are, uh, well, possible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's what makes them possibilities. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what that is. I think they've got um, they've got uh, Captain Marvel coming uh, coming up, so they do have a female lead, you know, on the immediate horizon, which I think will be good. And I think uh, Ant Man and the Wasp will, you know, feature more of the Wasp character as well. So, you know, I, I hope think- so because I, I love me some uh, Evangeline Lilly. She's uh, she's, oh, she's great. great. Yeah, and completely underrated. I want her. I want all the work for her. She's good. Yeah. Um, was she in anything before Lost? Uh, no, she's a, she's a Canadian actress, actually. The only thing that I know, I mean, she obviously did a couple of little guest spots on some Canadian shows, but she, <laughs> she'd probably hate me telling this, but, uh, when Lost came <laughs> out, when Lost came out, there was, uh, there was a bit of a, a very small, tiny little polite Canadian uproar, uh, because she did a ad, uh, for, uh, like an 800 phone, like Quest Personals, I think that uh that ran like late night on canadian channels and then uh as soon as lost started like i think it got pulled because i'm sure her manager was just like yeah that can't happen anymore but it showed up every now and again (laughs) still and it was like oh wow that's the girl from lost that's crazy it wasn't like like a like one of those dirty commercials it was one of those sort of just you know innuendo-y sort of ones but uh like it was a classy 800 number one if you know what i mean but um (laughs) i don't but but that's okay (laughs) i don't really either but but I'm sure it was like uh, I'm sure she wanted to forget that, and I'm and I'm sure she's happy that I brought it back up again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how actors and actresses get held responsible or not held responsible for you know things they do or roles they take. Um, there are just certain professions where you are not allowed to leave your past behind in some ways because it's all there publicly for people to see. Because it's out there, yeah, for sure. And I, in, in many ways, I'm in the same kind of profession with doing audio and podcasts and radio. And, you know, there are very likely some 
you know, somewhat ignorant things I've said, you know, in my past that any day could come back to haunt me because everything I do is recorded. You know what I mean? Uh, or even totally, take, yeah. taken out of context or not taken out of context. You know, it's just we all grow. We all evolve. We all figure things out. And uh, and sometimes it stinks to have to be held accountable for something you may no longer do or no longer believe or no longer think. Um, so it's just it's an interesting place to be. in, I'm sure. Totally. I mean, I, I, I storyboarded uh, uh, American Pie Beta House. There you uh, go. Direct, direct to video. Uh, uh, with lots of, I mean, I've never drawn so much nudity in my life. It was crazy, <laughs> but Hey, it paid the bills for a couple of weeks. So. There you go. Uh, story number three, woman trades packet of McDonald's Szechuan sauce for a car. Do we care? No, that's just stupid. <laughs> you know, the whole story, right? With the Rick and Morty. I do. And- I do. And I love Rick and Morty. And I just think that, uh, I mean, the, the, <laughs> I mean, you know what? No, all things considered, I mean, if she could do it, if she could, if she could get her hands on some of that sauce and trade it for a car, more power to her. Uh, it's really not her that's stupid; it's the other person that's stupid in that situation. But uh, you know, I don't. It's hard to call someone stupid, right? I mean, things are valued what you value them as. And if no, this, that's true. you know, if this person has enough vehicles, like if he's leaving <laughs> his family without a vehicle, then yes, I think we could question his judgment. Um, but at least he'll have some tasty Szechuan sauce. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up. It's actually, I mean, the Szechuan sauce thing was a couple weeks ago when McDonald's did it. And, of course, story after story of, of you know, upset people who were in line and, you know, they just didn't have enough. And since she traded for a car, they've actually said they're going to bring it back again and do better the next time. So uh, it's a good thing she oh, kind of really? got, got the car when she did. Yeah, okay, good. More power to her then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was just, I, my initial reaction, I think, was based more on the uh, on the negative stories that I read about people essentially being jerks about the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and just not treating people nicely just because of some sauce that really is probably just a mixture of, you know, the sweet and sour and the barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> when exactly. You put it all together. Yeah, exactly. Is there any, you can, can you think own. of anything pop culture wise where, you know, it's not really worth that but that you would trade a car for like anything that you'd just be like yeah i know that's just you know such and such but i know all the stuff that i that i would want to that i would want would be stuff that would probably like be valuable in some way or another like for example they just had uh there's a uh, there's a, a place that does uh, like movie props and stuff called the prop store propstore.com yeah and they just had their sort of annual movie prop auction and like Indiana Jones's whip from the last crusade was on there for like $30,000. That's the type of thing that I would want. And wow. I would gladly trade my car for, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I gladly Man. trade my car for something I could sell for $30,000. Yeah. Totally right. And then buy another car. <laughs> maybe, maybe two or three cars. But it's the only thing missing from my, from my cosplay. You see it. <laughs> my God. But yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, me either. And you're right. Anything I can think of actually has inherent value to a lot of people. Not everybody, right. but there are a lot of people, you know, the things that I love that much are things that a lot of other people love that much too. Um, you know, whereas with the Szechuan sauce, there are plenty of people that love it, but not quite that much. Uh, <laughs> totally. so, so it becomes a little bit different. Well, there you go. Let's move on then to talk to uh, talk about our review this week, which is only the brave. I work this place near Montana, and the blink of an eye, just fire 
everywhere. And then, charging out of these flames, comes this bear on fire. It was the most beautiful and terrible thing I've ever seen. Through hope, determination, sacrifice, and the drive to protect families and communities, the Granite Mountain Hotshots became one of the most elite firefighting teams in the country. While most people run from danger, they run toward it, watching over lives, homes, and everything people hold dear, forging a unique brotherhood that comes into focus with one fateful fire in Yarnell, Arizona. The movie is Only the Brave, uh, stars a lot of amazing actors and actresses. Uh, Again, a true story, as mentioned. Now, we're not going to spoil anything, even though it's a true story. I want to be very careful because I'm not sure about you, Jeremy, but as I went into this, I really didn't know the story. And I'm kind of glad I didn't because I was able to experience the movie, I think, in uh, in a really, and I think a deeper way. Um, Did you know the story going into it? Not even a, a tiny little bit, no. Yeah, and I, I think if you don't know the story, the true story, I say don't look it up before you go. I think you go, and then you can look up, you know, uh, other stuff about it afterwards, but I think it's it, the story is is told in a way that um, that will reward you learning as you're being told the story. It does You don't have to know things about it going in, so. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I think, I think not knowing anything really, really, uh, uh, sort of amped up a lot of the the tension and the suspense that actually ends up happening in the in the film. Yeah, I totally agree on that. Before we get into the details of if we liked the movie uh, or why we liked the movie or didn't like the movie, let's just start with a uh, very quick. Did you like it? Love it? Dislike it? Hate it? Or it was just okay? What do you think, Jeremy? I liked it a lot. Uh, so on the high side of liked it. High side of liked it. Uh, I'm and, and surprisingly so. I may add, like I, I wasn't sure what to expect, and I was I was. Gladly surprised that I liked it a lot. I wasn't sure what to expect either going in, and because I, I haven't heard any buzz about it necessarily, and I actually landed in the loved it category. I think this is an amazing film. I really enjoyed it. Um, and now, granted, and we'll start here, I am a bit of a sucker for a true story. Um, if, if a movie is based on real events, automatically I buy in at a different level. So uh, so there is that immediate connection for me. But even beyond that, I think this is a really well-made film. What are some of the things that, that you enjoyed? Um, uh, the performances from, from the sort of the handful of, of lead actors were really believable. Uh, uh, Josh Brolin in particular was just, you know, he was on point. Uh, I love seeing a little, a little Jeff Bridges doing what he does best. Uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly got me a couple times. Uh, and for somebody who uh, is not the, the biggest fan of Miles Teller, uh, generally speaking, uh, I thought he was really great. I, I, yeah, let's start with the performances. I think you're right. We can kind of just brush by Bridges because he's kind of just doing his Jeff Bridges thing, which, by totally. the way, is phenomenal. It's not oh, like yeah. he's bad or anything. It's just this is what Jeff Bridges does. And, you know, he's he's really good but the others you mentioned every single one of them i thought gave one of their best performances including josh brolin who has given a lot of great performances the way he embodied this fire chief this fire um superintendent i just i believed it like i forgot it was josh brolin a few times yeah i hear that yeah totally he uh, and and he gets to do uh, a lot with that sort of like quiet stoicism that he that he portrays really well in this film but then there's a lot of 
uh, it's a, f- a few opportunities where he really gets to go deeper than that, and those are really effective. Um, you also mentioned uh, Jennifer Connelly, who is so good in this. Uh, she has some of those moments um, that I think will start a little bit of buzz for award season. I'm not sure where this movie's going to land for award season, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some buzz for it. Um, and, and her performance, I think, is one of them. It's really good. Uh, yeah, there were a couple of really, really, like, just... Again, not to go into any kind of detail or anything, but just right. where where the just grabs hold of your heart and just. Eh. <laughs> and I and I think you're right about uh, Miles Teller in this. I think it's the best performance he's ever given. I've loved him in other stuff. I am a bit of a Miles Teller fan, but he finds a dimension to his acting in this movie and a dimension to the growth of the character in this movie that I don't think I've ever seen him pull off before. I agree with that too, and I think that that a lot of that has to do with just. Uh, with him maturing as a person, I think, uh, yeah. and, and, therefore, and therefore also as an actor. I just think that the older he gets, the more uh, he uh, he has to pull from. And I, I really think that, that we're actually going to start to see some really great stuff from him. From a person who, granted, you know, my own personal opinions notwithstanding, has, has really de- uh, delivered several times already. Yeah, and like I said, I've loved him, but I, I really do think this is his best work. I believed every second of it. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. The performances overall are absolutely astounding. I would even broaden that, and maybe I'll, I'll talk about this for one of my first you know, pros of the movie. Even beyond those main performances, those well-known actors, I felt like this group of guys, even you know, this, this full you know, firefighting unit, the, you know, the Granite Mountain hotshots, I thought every one of them felt so real to me like I my, my wife and I were talking afterwards about how what a great job they did at each of these individuals having a personality having a, just you know just enough of a, a spark of understanding who they were or what you know what they um you know what they meant uh you know to this group I was really impressed with you know even the even all the side actors in this the work that they were doing so was I. And again, when you have a when you have a, a group of essentially twenty people on this crew, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to to touch on every single one of them. And granted, some of them get less than others. Uh, but uh, there were a couple of real standouts in that within the crew as well. I mean, obviously, the guy who plays Mac was great, yeah. great character, well written, also well acted. And the guy who plays uh, uh, Steed, uh, who was uh, Josh yeah. Brolin's like sort of second in command, yeah, uh, was also great. But again, you go further down and everybody's got something to add. And that was that was something that I really appreciated. It wasn't just three guys and a bunch of no name face or no right, faces. Exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. They all they all had personality, which was cool. Yeah. And and the way this movie uses character development so efficiently was impressive to me. And I knew it right from the beginning. There's a scene right at the beginning where Josh Brolin is talking with Josh Brolin and Jennifer Connelly play spouses in this movie. And they have a conversation like right at the beginning of this movie about an argument they had the night before or something like that. And the way this movie in like 30 seconds gets you to understand their marriage is pretty astounding. Like the the efficiency of character development in this movie overall, I found to be spectacular. Agreed. That like I was uh, fully on board for for them and their relationship based on that one scene alone, essentially. Yeah. Anything, yeah. What else would you bring out as positives in the film? Uh, I mentioned the tension earlier. Uh, I mean, this is a situation where, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of fighting fires <laughs> right. in this movie because right. it's, a, it's, it's about firefighters. Uh, and 
uh, it was an interesting balance between the suspense of a scene and whether or not uh, their efforts would be successful versus also teaching me, the audience who doesn't know and understand how these men do their job, right? how they do their job. And so I actually learned a lot about how, you know, these hotshots uh, fight fires by starting fires, which is right. really interesting. Yeah, the the ditch digging, the brush clearing. Like, I, I, I love it when a movie teaches you as it's, you know, entertaining you or being compelling, you know, as it keeps and with that, your interest. And this was, yeah, totally. And this is a real, like, uh, like nod to the screenplay and the screenwriter, uh, but also without feeling like you're being taught something. Right. Like, it didn't, it didn't lay out the, oh, and then we do this and then we do that. It was, like, literally just scenes of them doing it. And the first time you see it, you're just kind of like, I'm not really sure what's happening here. But by the time they're like on the third time doing it, you're just like, okay, I totally understand this. And it's totally cool. (laughs) It's a it is a real it's a lesson in exposition by story so that, you know, so many movies get caught in the trap of exposition by narration or exposition by reading or exposition by, you know, uh, uh, like you have an expositional character who does all the dirty work of telling you how things are working or what's going on. This right. movie was so good at just showing you the story, and that's how you learned the exposition. Um, right. I mean, it helped that there was a couple of like characters who were new to the crew and stuff sure, like that. Absolutely. But uh, but, uh, but it didn't feel like like there was ever a oh we're showing the new guys the ropes scene. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I have to mention on the positive side, again, I loved this movie. I'm surprised how much I really enjoyed this. It will contend in my top ten of the year for sure. Cool. Um, I, I really loved the visuals in this movie, and I, oh, I was totally. I was really interested to hear you as a storyboard artist talk about how they use the cinematography on this. There's, again, an early scene where he is talking, the, the superintendent is talking about, uh, take a good look at this beautiful vista because from here on out, all you're going to see is fuel. Right. And just a, this beautiful scene of the audience in some ways understanding, oh, here's the dichotomy of the visual I'm going to be given. It's going to be beauty and it's going to be destruction and it's going to be hard to tell the two apart sometimes. Right. That was, uh, uh, yeah, one of the more striking uh, parts of the film was just like, and especially like the, the sequences that were obviously focused on the fire are a big part of this movie. Um, but you get to just to see the, the, the black and white, not literally, but just the, sure. like this next to that and, and the juxtaposition of, of, the, of the relative calm versus the, the fury of the fire that's happening like right next to it and as it's encroaching and stuff like that. Really, really cool. And a lot of stuff in, in, that I saw that obviously like my quick answer is, oh, well, visual effects. But I still don't really know how they did it. <laughs> it's seamless, right? I mean, it just feels yeah. real. Yeah. I There's a lot of sequences once... where it seems like these actors are actually walking through scenes that are on fire. And obviously they're not doing that. But so I, <laughs> the visual effects are really outstanding. I, I never once doubted what I was seeing was authentic. Except – and I, and I won't spoil this. Maybe we'll talk about this when we talk um, in the spoiler episode. Um, there, I mean there is one obvious uh, you know, effect scene, but – in the way it's presented in the movie, it's okay that it's an obvious effect scene, if that right. makes sense. But, I know what you're talking about, but, and yes, it does. <laughs> other than that, I just I bought 100% of the visuals on screen, and it was gorgeous. Somebody in the chat asked if they should see it in IMAX, and I say see it in as, on as big of a screen as you can because um, it really is beautiful. Totally. 
Uh, anything else on the the pro side? I feel like I've gushed about this movie uh, enough. Anything else on the pro side from you that you wanted to mention before we head on to any negatives we might have had? Just for for me, like a lot of the uh, the character interactions that were important to moving the story for uh, the story forward uh, really landed well. Uh, there were a couple of times. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't think it, you know you can you can pretty safely say that this is a relatively tear jerky movie. Yeah. But there were sure. a couple of smaller uh, uh, moments, like sort of in the central and sort of towards the beginning of the movie, that were actually like really effective and that brought a little mist to my eyes, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it was just like, the one note that I have here is, uh, uh, <laughs> there was one scene that happened towards the beginning of the movie, uh, right after uh, Miles Teller's character uh, joins the crew, uh, that I was I knew that this movie was gonna get me. Yeah. And I can't, like, I don't want to get too spoilery, but uh, you know, it has to do with uh, a previous relationship that he had and all of this, but yeah, oh, yeah. so. But yeah, and there was a lot of little moments like that, especially in that situation, but also between uh, uh, and probably more prevalently between Josh Brolin's character and his and his wife uh, that were really just kind of like, wow, this feels like a conversation that I've had with my wife, yeah. you know, and, and it really felt legit. It, yeah, it, it blew me away by how authentic all of those relationship conversations were. Um Man, the more I think about it, I I hope they do a big awards push because there's some really great work being done here. And absolutely, and I love it when a movie like this will just pop up and surprise me. I had no idea that this was, you know. Um, I think as a trailer for this, um, I maybe when I saw like Atomic Blonde when that came out, and then didn't hear from it forever uh, about it forever, and then all of a sudden in the last week, here's a bunch of commercials, and man, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about any of the negatives. Um, I honestly really don't have many. The only thing I will mention, and then I'll let you speak to anything that maybe you picked up on, um, because I'm, I'm actually really curious. But um, the only thing I would mention is it's possible if you are in the wrong headspace or something hits you the wrong way, that I can see you feeling like the the movie may be a little bit melodramatic or... Uh, cloying or over the top. Now, I didn't feel that at all because it hit me in exactly all the right ways. Um, but I think there is something that can happen in the human mind sometime when you're like, uh, if your eyes roll once, you're much more likely to roll them through the rest of the movie. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I agree with the sentiment, although I didn't get hit the same way by it. Um, yeah. I was, I was uh, when I was talking to, to my wife afterwards about it, um, uh, I did say during the conversation that it was as far as these types of like true story based movies are it was kind of by formula yeah, you know i'm not sure. gonna there's there are no big huge twists and turns i mean it, the story goes pretty much where you think it's gonna go um i don't know that that's necessarily a negative but um like you're not you're not in for any kind of uh like mind altering experience in that sense sure um um my um, the only sort of real negative that i had was that it took me um, I don't know. It probably took me until that scene with the, uh, uh, maybe not. Anyways, uh, I wasn't a big fan of the opening scene. The okay. opening scene kind of put me on the wrong foot. And so I was a little cynical through the, through the conversation between the crew, uh, for the first little bit mm-hmm. seemed a little like they were trying a little bit too hard for banter. Yeah, I can see that, you know, but then as soon as, as soon as, 
that scene that you were talking about between Berlin and Jennifer Connelly happened about mm-hmm. the argument the night before. Uh, that really kind of brought me in and then I think opened me up to be, uh, to, to let myself go with it. Yeah, you're right. If there's any part of it that I can, that I can buy into being a little fake or forced, it is in those, those first few interactions with the guys. Um, it, it, it can feel a little typical, uh, in those ways. Um, it must be super, it must be really hard to write like realistic banter between a bunch of guys you know yeah. <laughs> like i've never tried to do it but i mean it uh yeah i mean so that can seem a little stinted i think at times and it, and it did i think really more just through that beginning part and as the characters of these individual people started to come out more it was it obviously started to flow a lot better too so i think there's there's something interesting at least in the like the the dude moments of my life like playing on a basketball team or you know uh, being in a uh, traveling group with guys or whatever, I think we are often uh, so much more nonverbal. And so I think to, you know, to express the authenticity of what it's like to be with a group of guys on screen is probably a little boring. So, right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not that we can't have fun and we don't have fun and we don't joke with each other or rip on each other or whatever. It's just that it, you know, in order to amp it up to be entertaining, it can start to feel a little false, I think. I wonder if maybe that's part of it. Yeah, maybe. Could maybe. Um, did you have any other negatives? Not that I can think of. No. I yeah. mean, for the most part, it was all it was all pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, high recommend for me. I would highly encourage you, if, if it hasn't been on your radar, to get it on your radar. Uh, see it on the big screen. Um, I think, um, I'm guessing from Jeremy as well, this is, this is a big recommend. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And a nice surprising one, too. Like I said, I mean, no sort of, oh, I've been looking forward to this movie for months. I mean, it was just kind of like, oh, here's a here's a here's a nice surprise. And sometimes that's the best the best thing. Right. Like sometimes that's to a movie's advantage. And maybe we're experiencing that here a little bit with this movie is because you go in with no expectations. A movie that's really good becomes spectacular because, you know, you just didn't know anything about it. Whereas now that we've told you how amazing it is, you may go in going. Where's this amazing movie they were talking? About? I mean, this is okay, but you know, it's just weird how expectations influence you like that. It totally can, yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe just know that we loved it because we had no expectations. So keep your expectations low, and maybe you'll love it too. Maybe we yeah, can there go. You go. Maybe we can go that route. Um, although, I, I, although I do think that it that it does stand a little a little higher than that in its quality. So I I do too. I I actually really do. Um, it's it it kind of blew me away. So I I've only given three A's this year, and only the Brave will be one of them. So, oh, nice. Um, so yeah, that that should speak to how highly I I think of this film. Um, I'll make I'll make sure I uh, mention it to Josh Brolin next time I talk to him. Yeah, you're going to talk to Josh soon with the Deadpool <laughs> Not at all. I didn't stuff? even I didn't okay. even meet him on, on that. <laughs> no, I saw him one day, but I didn't actually meet him. <laughs> I've heard I've heard some of your interactions with famous people. I know you have I've, a, I've a, a Samuel couple. Samuel L. Jackson story that you could tell if you wanted to. <laughs> I do. I do have that story. Uh, all right, so let's move on to talk about Josh Brolin uh, since you mentioned him. Uh, let's do best ever Josh Brolin movies. We'll go from number three. To number one, uh, we'll go back and forth. And by the way, if you have a movie uh, higher than me, uh, you can trump it, and uh, we'll just talk about it when you're ready to. So, for instance, if I mention your number one movie at number three, just say Trump, and we'll wait till to talk about it till you hit it at number one. Does that make sense? Okay, sure. 
Uh, and then we'll do some honorable mentions. At I should also well. mention that I'm a little bit. Uh, uh, my numbering system is all out of whack here. There's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of ones that I want to talk about. <laughs> well, that's I fine. can't we necessarily can... bring them down to one, two, three, but we'll we'll try. Okay, so we'll we'll try to do the three, two, one thing, and then we'll talk about all the others as honorable mentions, um, and do it that way. And if you're not quite ready for the three, two, one thing, I can start. You want me to do that? Yeah. Why don't you go first? Yeah. All right. So at number three for me, and this is a little bit of a weird one, but he is technically in the movie. Uh, I'm going with Avengers Age of Ultron at number three. Did you like Age of Ultron, Jeremy? People are mixed on this movie. Uh, I liked it. I, did, I didn't think it was uh, – I don't think it's the uh, the strongest entry in the Marvel uh, – in the Marvel – Universe. Canon, but mm-hmm. uh, universe, but uh, but I thought, yeah, I mean, it was okay. I, I have big story problems with it, but uh, otherwise, uh, <laughs> not not too bad, not too bad. I need to re, I really do need to revisit it because I have heard people's complaints, and when I think about their complaints, I'm going, yeah, I guess you're right. And then I'm just like, but it was so much fun, and I it just was, that, that's my thing with Marvel fun. movies is I I always walk out of the theater on cloud nine. I'm just like that was such a fun experience. Um. And I loved Spader. I, you know, he's just. I, I just. I had a great time with Age of Ultron. Spader, so. Spader was the thread running through that that made it all okay. Yeah, I as think far so. as I was concerned, like he was great. I think. And so. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm loving I'm loving Josh Brolin as uh, uh, as Thanos. I mean, I can't wait to see him do more. The only reason that I wouldn't put it on on a, on a list for me is because it was such a small part. Right. Uh, uh, but we we will see more, and uh, and I'm hoping that it's going to be great. Absolutely. Because I, I just love that big purple Josh Brolin head. I think it looks, <laughs> I think it looks fantastic. <laughs> Who doesn't love a big purple Josh Brolin head? Uh, have you been able to come up with a number three? Um, I'm going to have to go with uh, uh, George W. Bush uh, in W. Oh, okay. Now, I, didn't, I didn't like the movie that much, I'll be honest. Uh, okay. I'm sort of high and cold on Oliver Stone, and you know a lot of his movie making is kind of weird. But, uh, but I thought that Josh Brolin really did a killer job. Uh, in this, he brought a lot of, uh, and especially at the time, he brought a lot of depth of character to this guy that is, you know, almost universally hated at the time. Yeah. You know how, how lucky we would be to have him now. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to get political. No, but, no, that's fine. I don't, um, I don't mind. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's, it's really interesting to see people reassess his presidency in the common era. Uh, it's kind of funny, isn't it? It's it, weird. It is. It's very strange. And he even just gave a speech recently. Um, that oh, that's right. Yeah, he did. Yeah, giving a lot, getting a lot of play for good reasons, I think. And uh, yeah, we don't have to go deep into politics, but I'm, I'm with you, man. <laughs> but I thought, uh, but I thought that uh, especially because it was made uh, at the time that it was made, it, it, I think it took a lot of it took a lot of balls to actually take that role on. Yeah. Uh, uh, but he does. He brings a lot of character and depth to the to the role. I I, I really enjoyed his performance in this movie that I'm not 100 percent crazy about. Well, this but. is this is going to be this is going to be good then because I think we're approaching this from different angles and, and part of that i mean all of that actually is my fault for not necessarily explaining fully but you know my angle here are the best movies that he was in uh, oh, okay. and, I, and i think your angle here is his best performances which i love because it gives us an opportunity to kind of uh you know take a look at it at it in a couple of different ways cool um my second my number two is actually a, a performance of his that i love and a movie that he's in that i love that also got a lot of mixed reviews uh, my number two is hail caesar <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he was great. He was great in Hell Caesar. Did you like Hell Caesar? 
I didn't. No. Oh, uh, man. There was there were so many parts of it that I did like, but I just thought that it kind of didn't tie together personally. Do you like when I was I was disappointed by it? Do you like Cohen's other goofy kind of like do you like Hudsucker Proxy or Hudsucker Proxy is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Oh, oh brother, where art thou? Oh, totally, yeah. I see. I think it's like you could put that in a trilogy with those movies. I feel like they're all the same movie, like the same kind of movie. Really? I really do. I, I mean, maybe I was just in the right headspace for it, but man, I really and, did love Hail Caesar. And I will fully, I will fully admit that I might have been in the wrong headspace for it. Um, that being said, uh, the dance number with Channing Tatum was one of the highlights <laughs> of last year, as far as I'm concerned. Better, and I know that this is going to cause some problems with you, but that dance number was better than all of La La Land. <laughs> oh come on, come on, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, you know Let's I didn't not like get La La crazy. Land. You know I didn't like La La Land. I know. Not that I understand, <laughs> but I know. I may be overstanding, overstating a little bit. No, that's fine. And it's really tough. No, I know the feeling when you don't like a movie that gets that much love and praise from it's people. It's kind of weird. It it's is. A, it's, it's a rough. weird situation to be in. It, yeah, it's a, and I, I've been there many times, in fact. So, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get the feeling. What do you got at number two? Uh, number two... Um, is something that I just saw recently. Well, not too recently, I guess, but um, and and sort of fitting along the lines of uh, uh, of what we just watched, actually, with uh, with uh, only the brave. Uh, it was actually Everest. Yeah, uh, that was in my I, honorable mentions. Oh, was it? Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, I which is a movie that again sort of came out of nowhere and and thoroughly surprised me about uh, uh, with how much I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great, and again, I thought he was uh, uh, really great in it too. Yeah, he's phenomenal in it. That movie, I think, is very underrated. Uh, I raved about it when it came out uh, last year, and it just people just didn't pay much attention to it. Uh, seeing it, and, and at the time, I thought maybe it was because I saw it in um, 3D laser IMAX, yeah. and it is just stunning I can uh, imagine. in that format. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad to hear you say that even watching it, because I'm assuming you watched it at home. I'm, I'm, glad, I I'm yeah. glad to hear it stands up in that way. It did, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was good. I liked it a lot. And Jake Gyllenhaal, right? I mean, yeah. oh yeah, right. Like sort of again. I didn't even know. I didn't even know he was in it <laughs> when I started watching it. But he was so good. Yeah, he is. He may be my favorite actor working today. I'm loving the choices that he's making. He's um, up there. He's yeah, up he's, there for sure. So good. Um, oh man. Oh, we'll talk about this later. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, number one. For me, uh, as far as movies that uh, Josh Brolin was in, uh, has to be No Country for Old Men. Oh, totally. Um, that is also my number one. Yeah, I figured. It, it's his best movie and his best performance, probably. Um, it is, I mean, you know, I, I feel like we've talked about No Country so many times on this podcast. I don't know, you know, what to rehash. Yeah. Uh, it's but, just the last, the last time I saw it, I, I, I threw away an entire afternoon because I was like, oh, I'll just eat some lunch and what will I watch? Oh, I recorded No Country for Old Men the other day. I'll throw that on. And so I'll just watch it for 20 minutes while I while I eat my lunch, right? <laughs> nice try. And then, like, my, yeah, my afternoon was gone. So, <laughs> Yeah, just such a captivating, compelling movie. Um, it sucks you right in with very little dialogue in those first couple of minutes. And it's just like, man, just brings you right in. Yeah, that's one of the all-timers for sure. Uh, let's talk about some honorable mentions. Um, what do you got? What else do you want to mention? Uh, well, I I feel like I like I would am cheating a little bit uh, uh, by saying Deadpool two <laughs> because yes. it's not out yet. You can't say uh, Deadpool two. Okay, fine. He was good <laughs> in it though. Uh, actually, I was on set one day and he was there. Um, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go a, a little off uh, key here. It's not the best movie, uh, uh, even in the franchise by any means, but uh, I really liked his performance. 
uh, as a young Tommy Lee Jones in uh, Men in Black 3. I've got it in my honorable mentions as well. There you go. I had to bring it up. You know, you mentioned uh, W, you know, him playing George W. I think Josh Brolin is surprisingly good at impersonating because his performance in Men in Black 3 as Tommy Lee Jones was I I thought it was incredible. I, I mean, I was just like, yep, that's he's got all Tommy Lee Jones affectations and screen presence and that was it was really strange. It was like, yeah, it was it was odd. It was it was like watching a young Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, it was it was great. I loved it. Yeah. And from an actor that we know as Josh Brolin. It wasn't even it was like some unknown actor that was imitating Tommy Lee Jones. You know, it was like somebody we already have you know, um, experience with and yet doing a great job at it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, again, it was one of those, uh, one of those performances that carries a relatively weak movie through yeah. and, you know, yeah. no, I agree. <laughs> what else you got? Um, what else do I got? I mean, he was great in Sicario. I mean, that was a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Oh yeah. I wanted to mention old boy. Um, the Spike Lee, uh, remake of Old Boy. Yeah, which I don't know if anybody saw, uh, but um, <laughs> I saw it. Did you? Did yeah. you like it? Well, I, it was, I come to Old Boy. It's kind of a hard movie to like. It, it is. It definitely comes with baggage, right? So, yeah, totally. Um, but yes, I, I, I think I like the original more for the audacity of it, what it's trying to do. Um. Those kind of things. And so, Agreed. And if you if you and if you have seen the original, then sort of the the the, the kicker to Old Boy kind of gets lost. Yeah. Because you already know what's going on. You just like don't go near her. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but again, at the same time, I mean, you're really I bought his performance like really strong in that. So yeah, no, he's great in it for sure. Uh, the only other ones I would mention are True Grit. I think is a good one to. Oh mention. yeah, right. Totally. Um, and then of course the Goonies, which is where we all met. Josh We're all going to end on the on the Goonies, <laughs> of course. It was funny the, the, when I was when I was on Deadpool. Uh, I, you'd walk by the art department, and the art department would put a little uh, photograph in its little door window sure, every yeah, day, yeah. right? And so sometimes it would be like a like a picture of Ryan Reynolds. Sometimes it would be like a uh, a shot of Deadpool or whatever. And and one week for an entire week, it was Josh Brolin from Goonies <laughs> up, in, <laughs> up in the window. It was pretty cool. nice. Nice. Yep. Well, there you go. Before we head on to the rest of the podcast, I did want to take just a second to thank our supporters of this podcast network through Patreon. Patreon.com slash StudioDNA is the uh, website you go to. And just a couple bucks a month keeps these podcasts going strong. Uh, Thank you so much for that. By the way, when you support at any level, $3 a month or more, you get access to every single podcast on the network as well as every single bonus episode. Um... Those are the the patron pre-shows that you'll hear us talk about. For instance, uh, our guest Jeremy and I chatted about his sift shame in this one where he mentioned uh, October-themed movies that he hadn't seen yet. So if you want to check that out, become a patron, three bucks a month, and it comes right to your podcast feed. There's a special feed for our supporters for the network. Again, that's patreon.com slash studio DNA. All right, let's move on to the SIFT quest, Jeremy. This is where we go on a quest from our listeners. Uh, can be a debate about a topic, can be uh, you know a question, could be something they want solved. In this case, it comes from Christopher Barkman, who uh, writes via Twitter. 
You've actually touched on something similar to this before in your Fate of the Furious review of all places, but how do you feel about media that vilify future technology? Everything from alarmist sci-fi like Black Mirror, The Congress, Minority Report, and to an extent Blade Runner 2049, to even something like the previously mentioned Fate of the Furious, although in that case it was presenting something incorrectly, tend to portray potential future technology in an inherently negative light. Do you see that as a problem going forward, or is there some merit to being cautious about where humanity is headed? I thought this was an interesting conversation to have, an interesting topic to bring up, so thank you, Christopher, for sending us on this quest. How do you feel about when technology is presented negatively in movies? It's interesting. I think that the natural uh, natural inclination is for people to vilify things that they don't quite understand yet. exactly yeah i think you're right so so i think that as as time progresses i mean i mean i guess as we sort of start off like things like we get different aspects of it like uh like enemy of the state for example where you get somebody hunted by satellites and you know, these teams of these crews of people who are hunting people down using technology like that now grant has a little dated now yeah uh, but you have that and then you have the opposite end of that spectrum where you've got you know the matrix <laughs> where we've <laughs> right. all been taken over by you know by the by the machines um but i think that the other side of that <clears throat> uh excuse me is uh we've also got these these other these these smaller movies that are coming out now like unfriended for example mm-hmm. where uh i think it was unfriended uh where uh, this, I mean, the whole movie takes place within the screen of a computer and it's right. all like Skype and, and, and Twitter and all of these things. And I thought that movie was fascinating. I don't know if it, I don't know if it did well or if it didn't do well, but it really used the technology both as a suspense builder, uh, but also as a really effective storytelling, uh, vehicle. Yeah. So meanwhile, you know, terrible things were happening and it was all because of YouTube and because of Twitter and because of people essentially, I mean, I guess what it comes down to is that it doesn't matter. The technology isn't what really matters as much as the the the, the bad people that are using the technology yeah. for their nefarious purposes, right? Yeah. So I, it all sort of comes down to the end. I think you're exactly right. And I think you see this with anything new, um, you know, can be made into a villain. Uh, I, I don't mind it so much. I, I think it is, you know, the, the final question about being cautious about where humanity is headed. I think it's always great to be cautious and understanding how – not only are we using new technology, but how is new technology using us? Um, which I think can be a better question sometimes. Um, you know, how as are batteries? <laughs> that's right, as batteries, <laughs> a la the Matrix. Uh, or how are you know um, governments or big business or those kind of things using technology to um, manipulate us? I think are important questions, and you see a lot of that in pop culture and in different storytelling. I think all that stuff is good. Um, you know, the example he brings up with uh, Fate of the Furious is with the self-driving cars, and I took issue with that because, as he says, it's, you know, an incorrect look at that, and also because I'm very passionately supportive of the move to fully autonomous vehicles, um, just based even on nothing else other than the amount of lives it would save. Uh, and, and so it does annoy me a little bit that our humanness gets in the way of technology progressing quicker and so to see something like that in a movie where it's like, yep, see, anybody can hack the autonomous vehicles and kill people with them. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, hackable stuff all over your house and hackers <laughs> right. aren't hacking into it to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, again, uh, it, comes to, it comes down to the to the bad people who are going to use the technology. If right. regular normal people are using the, 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 the self-driving cars. 
then nobody's going to get you know going to get purposely anyways killed using these cars <laughs> so it's uh i think right. it's, the the crux of it i think is that is that as uh as movie making also proceeds and grows and sort of moves forward uh we end up like getting into a situation where we're going to start to see these technologies just integrated more into storytelling, I think, and not necessarily in an evil or a bad kind of way. Uh, I watched something like Black Mirror, and you know, just for instance, the I don't know, have you seen Black Mirror, Jeremy? Uh, I've seen most of season two so far. Yeah. Okay, this may have been season one. There's a, there's an episode where the technology is built into your vision, and you you basically record everything you see so you can replay different events, those kind of things. Um, I watch Black Mirror, and I go, okay, I'm seeing a story about how people are using this technology, but I see that completely separate from the technology itself because right. I watch an episode like that, and I'm like, ooh, think of all the amazing ways that could be used. You know, think of how I'm just in general, I am pro technology, and so I think I'm apt to see the you know the positive sides of those things right i agree too I and mean, if you look at the the sort of the probably the most well-known episode of that show right now the bryce dallas howard episode yeah uh where it's all about social media and getting likes and stuff like that i mean again it's not the technology that's inherently bad there it's the, it's the fact that the the people have been sort of corrupted by it right yeah uh, and that that liberating final scene in that episode is just so joyous that it's that it's, uh, I mean, it's obviously Black Mirror is made with social commentary in mind, so obviously that's what they were going for. But uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's uh, <clears throat> I think as long as uh, people are using film and art to uh, to tell stories that do have that kind of social commentary, I think that we're always going to get stories where technology is used by bad people. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And again, it's, you know, it is good to have those cautions. I think it really, it is valuable to, you know, look at how technology could be used nefariously. Um, the stronger technology gets, the more nefarious somebody can be with it. And so I, I think that's, you know, it's an important thing for us to view. But at the same time, it's, it's also a moot point because it's also unstoppable. I don't think they're stopping technological advance. We're going to continue thinking of better ways to do things and want to do them because of the pros behind them. Like, I, you know. As, totally. And as we should, I think like one of my, this is going to sound maybe, I don't know how it's going to sound, but anyways, uh, one of my pet peeves is, is people who, without knowing who I am or, or, or what my life is or whatever, look at me on my phone and tell me that I should put it down and, and go outside, right. you know, and do yeah. something or whatever. So, like, meanwhile, I have lots of friends that I talk to online on my phone. Right. I have lots of things that I'm legitimately using this technology for. And you know what? I'm actually – I exercise all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so shut up. But you know what I mean? Like, I think that, that there's a certain amount of curmudgeonly – uh, attitude towards fearing technology and I like we're we're all growing in this world together like technology is to help right. us and we should all kind of I'm not saying we should all embrace all technology but I think a little bit less of the curmudgeon would be helpful <laughs> totally agree I think we're in agreement on that well thank you Christopher for your sift quest uh, it's a great conversation if you've got a sift quest that you want to put us on feel free to hit me up on Twitter my DMs are open um, so if you need a little bit more space, uh, it's at Aaron Dicer, A-A-R-O-N-D-I-C-E-R. Uh, you can also email if you want. Feedback at SIFPOP.com will work as well. Uh, we would love to go on a quest for you. 
Uh, we like to finish off with some buried treasure. Jeremy, what's that one thing in any area of pop culture uh, that you want to make sure people know about? Uh, I am absolutely uh, in love with uh, Living Color's new album, Shade. Oh, interesting. Talk about it. Uh, Living Color, uh, I mean, you guys probably know Living Color if you've sure. been alive on the world. I mean, they they back in like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, they had some huge hits. Yeah, it was the, uh, with, it was uh, the Cult um, of Personality. It was the Wayne was Brothers the, and Jim Carrey. And, uh... No, no, no. That's, that's in Living Color. Oh, right. That was a show on right. Fox. Right, right. <clears throat> Uh, this is the band uh, Living Color. Uh, they had uh, big hits with uh, uh, Cult of Personality back in like the nine, uh, 89, 90. Uh, Love Rears Up Its Ugly Head. Uh, they were pretty huge. Glamour Boys was another big one. Sure. Uh, so we're going back like like near 30 years now. And these guys have released, I think, about eight albums in the meantime. They haven't put out a new album in about eight years. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, and it's solid. Like, they just put this new album out, and I cannot stop listening to it. It's been out for about a month now, and I have literally listened to it at least once a day every, every uh, uh, since it came out. Nice. Um, it is uh, an interesting 2017 take on a blues album. Uh, and if you, and if, if you don't know Living Color, uh, they're uh, <clears throat> a four-man rock band who... Uh, just like they go hard, like they're a hard, heavy hitting rock band uh, and it's four black guys and you don't hear that a lot. And I think that that's really cool, too. It's like a, it's a it's a voice that that black people don't express very much in music and that they're, you know, back in the 90s, they were classified as a metal band. And but they've got these great funk and African influences and stuff. And this new album literally is a blues album, but with that heavier kind of feel to it and it's just i can't get enough of it and i've loved these guys for 30 years and it was just so wonderful to have them to put out this new album and uh it's i don't know because they because they they were big back then i don't know how many people are aware of it now do you know what i mean yeah. and, and the fact that they're still around and still working and this man Corey glover the lead singer of this band uh in 30 years does not sound like he has aged a day. His voice is just as clean oh, and crisp cool. as it was back then. It's absolutely amazing. It's powerful. Uh, Vernon Reed on guitar shreds like, like nobody's business. He's insane. He's one of the best guitarists working out there right now. Uh, Doug Wimbish on bass is absolutely stellar. And, um, and of course, I'm going to forget the the drummer's name at the moment. <laughs> because I'm, because I'm yeah, you're jerk. doing better than me. <clears throat> um, It'll come to me, and, I, and I'll blurt it out when it does. <laughs> there you uh, go. Uh, it's really solid. Uh, it, you know, it's maybe not for everybody. The language can get a little strong just because they they cover some uh, uh, a, a Biggie small song. So there's you know oh, yeah. pretty much you know so there's a little bit of swearing in that one. Uh, but you know what? I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. It's it's nice. really 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 good. Very cool. My buried treasure for this week. Uh, I came home. <clears throat> yesterday actually and my two younger boys my 12 and my 14 year old were watching the wrong man alfred hitchcock's movie the wrong man and uh, i sat and oh, watched yeah. i sat and watched that with them for a little bit uh by the way i love that my kids are in like a hitchcock phase right now they followed that up with uh, the birds in uh and i think psycho i think the first time they'd ever seen psycho so uh it was an interesting day yesterday but um Man, it just reminded me how good that movie is, and I think it's one of his underrated films. Uh, Henry Fonda, 
uh, playing the lead. And it's it's interesting because with Hitchcock, you think of, you know, suspense thriller and there's some of that here. But the way it's used in the context it's used in in this movie is so different than most of his movies, I think, that it really, you know, takes a look at a different kind of Hitchcock movie. Um, but it's still got, you know, his beautiful framing, the way he uses the camera, all that kind of stuff that Hitchcock's known for is here. So if you haven't checked out The Wrong Man, I would put that on your list, especially if you love Hitchcock's other stuff. I'm going to have to rewatch that. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. So Yeah, it's definitely worth a rewatch. The, uh, the drummer for Living Color, by the way, is uh, Will Calhoun. So there you go. Nice. Well, at least we got <laughs> I it. I remembered. I didn't even look it up, Will. I didn't even look it up. Podcasting happened. We did hey, it, Jeremy. we did it. Yay. We did it. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at Mixler.com slash Studio DNA. That's M-I-X-L-R.com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks again to today's guru, Jeremy Simser. Jeremy, tell people where they can find you if there's anything you want to plug. Uh, well, they can find me uh, on Twitter at Jeremy Simser, uh, where I talk about uh, pretty much just anything I feel like talking about. You're a great Twitter uh, follow. I love I love following you on Twitter. Oh, thanks. I uh, I try to keep it light. I like it's pretty much geeky news, you know, stuff like that. And, Plus, you uh, post you know, like every some now, every now story, storyboards and stuff every once in a while. I try to post as much art as I can. Uh, legally, I'm not allowed to post a lot of it, but uh, you know, once things come out, I do. I yeah. do. Uh, I do post. Um, uh, JeremySimser.com is my website if you want to have a look at even more of that stuff. Nice. Um, and uh, I'm currently involved. Uh, uh, in a Kickstarter, actually. Uh, as a storyboard artist, uh, the long road to getting towards uh, storyboarding uh, starts pretty much for everybody as wanting to draw comic books for a living. Yeah. Uh, so I'm involved uh, with my friend uh, Kelly Brack, uh, who's a writer. And he uh, he's putting together what is being called the Death of the Horror Anthology. And oh. it's a comic book. Uh, it's going to be uh, like 200 pages. It's going to be crazy. Great. Uh, anthology of horror stories from some of the greatest uh, current creators of comic books uh, uh, working right now. Uh, I, the list is is long <laughs> of people who are who are involved in this thing. Uh, just to name a, a, a few, uh, Alejandro Aragon is involved. Uh, Sarah Alfagi, uh, you know Kelly Brack is writing a couple of stories. Uh, Patch, uh, uh, oh, man. Uh, Zercher, sorry, uh, is involved. Uh, Fran Delgado, Ryan Ferrier, who's a fantastic writer. Uh, Brian Edward Hill, who uh, uh, is also a great writer, who, is, who appeared on my podcast a couple times, good friend of mine. Uh, Jason Inman and I are doing a story. Uh, so there's all these like people who are involved uh, in the comic book world and me. Uh, who has never actually, who's never actually worked in, in comic books, but uh, I'm using this as sort of my uh, my my launching pad into it. Uh, so we've got this Kickstarter going, uh, so that we can get this giant uh, 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 comic book out to people, so that they can see it and read this just wonderful array of stories that are just going to be fantastic if we can meet our goal. Uh, so uh, hopefully people will want to go uh, to Kickstarter and check out the Death of the Horror Anthology Kickstarter and help us out. Uh, so if you go to if, if you go to Kickstarter, what should you search for to find the project? Search for Death of the Horror Anthology. Okay, and you should be able to find it. Jeremy's working with a bunch of other amazing people there. 
uh, to put this thing together. So I'm sure there are more details there if people want to look at those. Uh, the, the, the long list of 40 contributors is up there, like way too many for us to go into right now. But it's uh, it's so many people, and it's just gonna it's gonna be great. I, I'm really looking forward to this book coming to fruition. So that's amazing, man. I, I hope all that gets funded. I'll be sure and check it out again. That's at Kickstarter. Uh, if you want to check that out, we believe fully in fan funding at this podcast network. In fact, we also have to give much love and gratitude to our own Patreon supporters for giving every month to make this show and others on the network possible. Support starts at three bucks a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find out more at patreon.com slash studio DNA. There's also lots of ways to connect with the podcast. You can hit us up at SoundCloud, uh, Twitter, uh, Apple Podcasts, or you can email us at feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you are having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the podcast too, so let them know about it and let them know that listening is much easier than escape a flaming bear spoiler chat for this week's movie should be next up in your podcast feed and we will see you back next week for some talk about fall television as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.